Welcome to Talk Angry with Coon and Eldridge. On today's show, we will recap the biggest win of the year, last Thursday's win over Houston. We'll also, for the second week in a row, try and figure out what the heck's going on with the Shocker schedule, what things look like the rest of the year, and we'll talk about the Shocker's NCAA tournament chances. Great show coming up right after this. Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Wichita State Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Happy to be back with producer Brian and Taylor in the Forge Audio Production Studios. We'll get to the win over Houston here in just a second, but Taylor, for the second week in a row, the this well, actually for the ninth time this year, <laughs> the uh, schedule continues to evolve. Both games against SMU were postponed again. It uh, looks like the conference is going to try and move some games around. Uh, obviously, Coach Brown was calling, looking for some non-conference opportunities. Just kind of recap the last two or three days, what, what has been going on with regards to the Shocker schedule and kind of what you think will happen on a go-forward basis here. Yeah, so we're recording this on Wednesday about 5 p.m. So as of now, yeah, it's not looking likely that Wichita State is going to find a non-conference opponent for this week. IB has said he's looking for a game on Saturday, so that's a kind of a a specific time frame. So, uh, you know, there there are a handful of teams that they have called. Uh, You know, they're just basically... Basically, look at the net rankings. Everyone ahead of them, that, those are the teams that, that, that they're trying to play. So um, the, the teams from major, you know, these SEC, Pac-12s, Big Tens, Big 12s of the world, uh, those teams don't have a lot of interest in traveling to Wichita. You know, they're playing top 75 opponents pretty much every night in their conference schedule. Uh, so some of these teams don't need the help that Wichita State needs. Uh, there's very little interest in, in coming to Wichita, and, and you know they don't really see the the benefit of you know if we beat Wichita State, you know they're on that edge of being a, a Q1 win. So if we beat you, you might fall below that 75 uh, ranking in the net. So they're not seeing a lot of benefit to it. And then when WSU calls mid-major teams, you know conferences rated below the American. What they're saying is, okay, we'll play you, but you have to come to us. And, you know, that's just not um, something that Wichita State, you know, they obviously, obviously have to protect themselves a little bit. You know, you, you don't want to just go on, on the road and kind of the reverse situation where, you know, if you beat them, well, do they fall, you know, below that 75 and, uh, you know, maybe fall out of the quad one wins? Or, you know, does a back-end quad one win, does it really move the needle that much for Wichita State? That's, that's another question. So... Uh, it's kind of the food chain I wrote in my story is that, you know, the teams, uh, you know, kind of viewed above the American, uh, you know, they don't want to play. And then the the teams below the American, you know, they want to play, but they only want to play if WSU will come to them. And uh, to make it clear, you know, IB said that he was, you know, people I've talked to in the program, they were willing to go on the road, you know, for specific teams. But, you know, one reason or another, things just kind of get worked out, whether if it was, you know, injuries or even COVID issues for their for the other teams or, you know, the date wouldn't work, um, just were just various things, you know, it just didn't work out. And since it hasn't worked out as a, a Wednesday night, they're not very uh, optimistic that a game is going to get played this week. So, um, so yeah, that brings us to the next point is, okay, the conference scheduling. 
all that they have left on their schedule right now is at Tulane, at Temple. You know, bottom teams in the American. That's not going to move the needle at all for WSU, even those, even though those games are on the road. So what the conference is looking at is okay. We have a team that's on the bubble. We actually have three teams on the bubble: WSU, SMU, Memphis. We want to try to do as much as we can to help those teams with these rescheduled games. So. I think what you're going to see the conference do is reshuffle the conference schedule for next week for WSU. Uh, right now, Tulane game is scheduled for Wednesday. Temple is scheduled for Saturday. I would expect the Tulane game gets moved up a day or two, and then the Temple game gets moved back, uh, either stays the same date or it gets moved back to Sunday. And then what I think they're going to do is try to fit in this Memphis game uh, at home at Coke Arena on a Thursday night primetime slot. I'd imagine it be ESPN, ESPN2 game. And that's going to be kind of the marquee game that WSU gets on its schedule. I think they're just going to, you know, give up. I don't think that, whatever reason, you know, the WSU-SMU game just seemed like it was doomed. So they're not going to try to mess with that. I think they're going to try to focus on getting this Memphis game in for WSU. And obviously, you know, that doesn't, you know, really move the needle that much either for the Shockers. You know, it's going to help them. It's more beneficial for Memphis, though, because it's a Q1 game for them because they're playing on the road compared to a Q2 game for WSU since they're playing at home. uh, Or Memphis is playing on the road and and WSU is playing at home. So um, it's going to help a little bit, but... Um, you know, that's, that's a tough game. And then obviously the Shockers are going to have to win that one and win two on the road here to close out the regular season if they want that, that outright league championship. I have a couple kind of rapid-fire questions I want to throw at you. The first being that both SMU games were postponed or effectively canceled. This is the you know second, third, or fourth time, I guess, you can consider that this Wichita State-SMU matchup has been either postponed or canceled. Why has the conference not had them play with a, a fewer amount of players? We saw Wichita State with kind of a short deck to start the season in those first couple games. You know, SMU's had so many games postponed, you'd have to figure that the whole damn team Teams had it by this point. I know the coaching staff has had it as well. So why not, you know, still have these games played, even if the team might not be at full strength? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually asked, uh, I talked to Mike Oresco today, uh, the conference commissioner. I, I asked him what the, um, you know, bare minimum was for for games getting played because obviously WSU played the season with only eight scholarship players their first two games of the season. So it can be done. Um, and Oresco said that. You know, the bare minimum, you know, if you have, you know, eight guys, you know, you're you're able to play. If it's seven or fewer, then, you know, the conference is going to say, you know, step in and say, okay, you know, you don't have to play. But he did clarify that the, the conference leaves it up to each team, you know, whether they feel comfortable. So, I mean, it's just kind of, you know, obviously with, uh, with the COVID privacy issues, you know, they're not releasing information on, you know, how many players have it or, you know, how many players... Uh, they could have had or how many scholarship guys they could have had so I mean it's just tough to tell and you don't want to you know speculate too much but yeah I mean that's basically up to SMU's judgment uh, you know whether they they feel comfortable or not you know putting a team uh, you know on the court in the conference you know obviously these are unprecedented times and you want to you know have a safety first so they're not gonna you know enforce anything too crazy but it's a great question and that's you know one that I asked uh, Oresco and that, that was his answer was that he's leaving it up to uh, to each individual team and uh, you know as long as they have you know eight or more you know they're free to play but you know obviously if you have some kind of COVID issues you know it's just it's up to you know each individual school 
and I certainly understand it's in unprecedented times, and uh, you know it, it's not the Americans' fault, but it seems like this conference out of any in the country has been impacted the most by COVID issues this year. Um, we see, you know, SMU's had problems, East Carolina's had problems, Cincinnati at different times, USF. It, none of these games, Memphis, you know, yeah. Memphis, none of these games that Wichita State has had postponed have been, in theory, their fault. Now, my next question would be, and maybe Oresco had a comment on this, Do is it worth them even having the conference tournament at this point? You have, you know, 40% of your conference that has had issues with, you know, fairly recent issues, and, you know, do you take that time and try and get more of these games in, or do you risk bringing in all of these teams and, and then having multi- multiple issues, and, and then at that point, do you think Houston would, you know, they seem to want to play more basketball. They're playing Western Kentucky on Thursday, and that would have been another good opponent for the Shockers, but kind of wh- where do you think Houston fits in and all that, and, and do you think as of today, and obviously this changes, but it makes sense for the conference to have a conference tournament? Yeah, they seem uh, pretty committed to having a conference tournament, and you know they're going to do. Uh, you know they're putting teams through pretty stringent testing before they go down to Fort Worth. So, um, you know they're going to do everything they can to. It's kind of like the South Dakota tournament that Wichita State tried to go to, where you know they're going to have to do a couple testing uh, before they, you know, even get to the site, and then you know obviously they're going to test. Uh, you know when they get to the site, and I asked. Uh, um, Oresco, you know, is does one case disqualify a team? And he said, not necessarily. You know, they're going to do contact tracing and, uh, you know, determine how many guys have been affected. And, uh, you know, if it's kind of the same situation, you know, if they have eight or more guys, you know, they're going to let these teams uh, play, even if they do have a positive case. And obviously that those players and the players affected will have to quarantine. But, you know, if teams are still able to play, um, you know, they're, they're going to get the chance to. So they're going to try to do, you know, everything in their power to make this as safe as possible. Um, I do think Houston, like you said, you know, they're they're more than up for the challenge. I don't think there's any question that they're going to be there. Um, you know, that's just not in Kelvin Sampson's nature. You know, they're they're going to want to play, you know, the best of the best. So, um, yeah, they're, no, no doubt they'll be in, in the Fort Worth for the conference tournament. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is beneficial just because, you know, you uh, for the for the conference, you know, the best way to get a second team in the tournament is to have someone not named Houston win the conference tournament. So that's that's kind of what it's looking looking up to. Or maybe there's even a scenario, you know, where Wichita State makes a run, uh, reaches the conference tournament championship. They do enough to just slide in, and then a team like Memphis or SMU, they beat Houston in the semifinal. They get that, and then they beat WSU in the final and get the automatic bid. And you know, I think there's. Even a potential scenario where where you get three teams in, very unlikely, but I think there there could be a path for for that to happen. So a lot of things have to break the right way, and I mean I'm not betting on it, but um, I, I think that is a good chance that you know the conference tournament does get played. Uh, one point that was kind of interesting, I, I asked him how uh, the the conference would choose the automatic qualifier if um, the con- for some reason the conference tournament doesn't get played or you know cancellations happen and for whatever reason you know they're not able to crown a conference tournament champion who does the American send you know to the NCAA tournament and it's not necessarily the regular season champion uh, he said that it's going to be up to each uh, the NCAA is leaving it up to each individual conference to decide how they want to do it whether it's the highest net team. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, how they want to do it. I would assume, you know, it's in the conference's best interest, uh, you know, to, to pick a second team outside of Houston. I mean, obviously Houston's going to get in as an at-large, so I would imagine that they would probably pick, you know, a Wichita State or SMU or Memphis or, 
Um, you know, even if Houston ends up finishing first. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it just comes down to uh, each individual conference. So, um, you know, Wichita State, even if they, they win the regular season conference um, uh, title, it doesn't necessarily guarantee them, you know, the automatic berth, you know, if the, if the conference tournament doesn't happen. Although I would, you know, I would bet, you know, the American would be smart enough to, to send the Shockers. But I just... You know, I just thought it was interesting that that's not, you know, necessarily the rule. It's it's up to each individual conference. Now, when do they have to decide he said that's that, going to happen? Yeah, he said they actually have to decide before the before the conference tournament. So he said sometime next week is when they have to uh, let the NCAA know that call. So it'll be the final week of the regular season when all the conferences have to to let um, the NCAA know what their protocol is going to be. Mm. And that's actually kind of where I wanted to go next. Right now, the Shockers are in 71 out of 120 brackets on Bracket Matrix. They uh, rate out as a 12 seed. They're in the highest number of brackets without actually being projected to be in the field right now. You talked to Joe Lenardi. You've talked to several other bracketologists. And I'm just looking at this from a fan perspective. But does the do the Shockers really want to add many more games? I mean, why not beat Tulane, beat Temple, get this regular season crown? I, I'm still, who knows what's going to happen with this conference tournament. I'd love to have it. And I think, you know, if the Shockers reach the championship, they they have, you know, a very compelling case. But, um, you know, to your point, kind of looking at the optimist view, is it better for them just to keep racking up wins and let some of these other bubble teams maybe play themselves out of the bracket? Yeah, it's an interesting question because, you know, the players, they want to play games. You know, the team, they want to play games. You know, this is why they're here. Uh, is to, you know, they want to play the best competition. But, you know, as fans, you know, you kind of look at it from a different perspective. You know, you're you're trying to... I don't care how you get there. Yeah, Let's you, just go dancing, baby. Just, <laughs> you just want to get to the NCAA tournament. So it's it's a fair question. You know, if, uh, you know, obviously Wichita State, they they want to play Memphis. But, you know, in, in the end, you know, if they end up losing that game, you know, you look back, hindsight's twenty twenty. That could be the game that, that keeps them from going to the NCAA tournament. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's a tough balance. But I think, you know, the players and the coaches, they're all on board with it. Um, but yeah, I did talk to a bracketologist who um, I asked him, you know, how how hurtful is it if they're not able to play SMU and they don't find a non-conference game? And he said, you know, it hurts a little, but it might actually end up helping them in the long run because you know you you're they're going to be scoreboard watching on a lot of these middle of the pack, uh, you know, major six, power six conference teams. You know, teams like Stanford and Duke and um, Indiana, Minnesota, Yukon. Uh, um, teams like that, you know, they're going to be, if those teams end up losing, uh, you know, a lot in the, these last two weeks of the regular season, you know, down they go, they're going to hurt their chances, whereas WSU is going to stand, uh, you know, keep its stance right there, and uh, they might actually end up going up. Um, so they, they could benefit from this. But And I also think uh, we were talking, too, about, you know, when they're on the bubble and, you know, the, the committee is looking at what distinguishes these teams, you know, yes, WSU is going to get hurt when you look at just the, the sheer amount of top 100 games, top 75 games, whatever you want to look at, um, the quality opponents they've played, you know, they just didn't play very many quality opponents, uh, no fault of their own, you know, it's just a fluky year, uh, you know, just a weird season for the American, weird season in the non-conference uh, but they just the fact is, you know, they didn't play a lot of quality opponents. They didn't win a lot of quality opponent games. So, um, but you know, the one thing that will make them stand out, is, hey, we have a regular season championship. You know, if they if they end up winning the American, that's going to be a nice chip to have when you're you're comparing resumes against, you know, a, a middle of the pack Big Ten team like Indiana or Minnesota or 
you know, uh, uh, in a team like UConn or uh, Duke or uh, teams like that. So um, that could end up helping WSU. But, yeah, it's just going to be a lot of scoreboard watching these last two weeks. And, uh, yeah, I mean, WSU, I would point out, too, that while they, they are in 71 of the brackets, a lot of those are as the automatic qualifier for the American. If you're looking at them as just an at-large team, uh, you know, assuming they don't win the conference tournament, then you know that's gonna that number is gonna shrink a little bit. So I think they are on the wrong side of the bubble as it stands, but you know they're, they're definitely in the conversation right now. And I agree with you on that last point that you know the majority of those brackets have them in as the automatic qualifier. But from my perspective, the more you have your brand out there, the more you're in front of people. That win over Houston mm-hmm. got a lot of run on Twitter. Got a lot of run. You know, uh, Gary Parish and Matt Norlander are talking about it on the their podcast. You had really all across the board folks recognizing that win. You know, the largest win for the Shockers at home since 1967. But also now they're getting six votes in the AP Top 25 this week so I just look at the more you're out there the you know hopefully when it comes down to trying to split hairs on these bubble teams that helps you also no bad losses you know you're two and two in Q1 you're two and two in Q2 but you're seven and0 in Q3 and Q4 so not really anything to you know put a stain on your resume at all we'll see certainly some some games left to go here we did have a listener tweet in to us and wanted a little bit more explanation of on the net ranking and on Ken Palm why the shockers aren't high right now you know a net of 69 Ken Palm of 72 it's unfortunate that Cade Cunningham three-pointer went in because I think you know had you beat Oklahoma State that's another feather in your cap that old Miss win looks better and better every single day Missouri's in a little bit of a tailspin right now but they're still a top 25 rated team uh, you know certainly the the road loss at Memphis wasn't great but uh, maybe just talk a little bit about the metrics right now and and we saw a big jump after Houston but why it's not better in in which Wichita State's favor. Yeah, kind of like what I said earlier. It's just a fluky season for the American where, um, you know, you look at, um, you know, Oresco will point out that this is, you know, technically from top to bottom, this is the best the American has ever been. I think every team is in the top 175 in the net. You know, the Big 12, Pac-12 can't say that. You know, they have teams that are stragglers, you know, below that mark. But the American, every team is, you know, at least in the top 175. But uh, where the American has been heard is basically, you know, that, that second to, to five to the middle of the pack. Basically, you know, every team outside of Houston, for whatever reason, you know, those teams just aren't rated as highly. Uh, you know, you look at, at Ken Palm, you know, Memphis is 46, SMU, um, you know, I think they're they're about the same, uh, which I'll say it's 72. And, you know, obviously that takes into account, you have to remember that, not just your wins and losses that that looks at every single possession of every single one of those games. So, uh, you know, it, it rates your your competition and it rates how you do against every single possession against that competition. So, um, you know, a lot of these close games, you know, against Temple, against Tulane, uh, Cincinnati, Tulsa, uh, USF, you know, all those teams are you know respectable in the American, but you know they're rated outside of the top 100 in a lot of these metrics. So, you know, close games aren't really going to, you know, move the needle for you that much. I, I do think that Wichita State is better than, you know, 72 in the country. You know, as Ken Palm would point out, I think there's 68 in the net right now. And, um, yeah, when I when I talked to Lou Inardi, he basically just said it's it's just a lot of uh, flukiness, you know, with the, the condensed non-conference schedule. Uh, the American relies so heavily on that every season to, to get those marquee wins. Uh, you know, you take out basically half of the schedule, sometimes even more for these teams. So 
a lot of these teams didn't get a chance to prove themselves, you know, in the, the first uh, two months of the season. And, and then, yeah, just a weird year, you know, uh, uh, UConn leaving Hurts, you know, that would have been the, the, the second team um, more than likely that, that would have given a, you know, uh, these teams a, a marquee win. Uh, so right now there isn't that second marquee win. You know, you look at Wichita State, just the American schedule from Wichita State's perspective, outside of Houston, the only uh, two chances at a quad one win were on the road at Memphis and on the road at SMU. Those were the only quad one opportunities uh, for WSU in the conference outside of Houston. So, uh, you know, that's just not, it's, it does not help these teams, you know, trying to play their way into the NCAA tournament when they just don't get, you know, those at bats at these, these teams in the big 10 and big 12, you know, where they, where they're playing eight, nine, 10, uh, you know, quad one games. So, um, it's it's a little outside. I mean, it is outside of Wichita State's control because I think you have to give them credit for going out of conference to seek out those opportunities against Missouri, against Oklahoma State. But you know they didn't win them, so they weren't able to co- capitalize um, the win at Ole Miss. Like you said, that 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 is looking better and better uh, the more they win. Um, so it's uh, yeah, just a weird year, and um, I I can't really explain it. I think the American is. You know better than what is projected, what is coming across as in these these analytics. But um, yeah, I mean it's just a tough year for the American. Oresco basically said it's just more more disrespect for the American, and they're still looking for that respect on a national level, and doesn't look like they're getting any right now. I, I honestly, looking at the net this year, I think it must lean too heavily on the predictive analytics, and and it probably works out fine when you have a full schedule. Everybody plays a full non-conference slate, and so you get all that cross-pollination between conferences, so that data gets a lot better. But when you've got you know teams that only play three non-conference games, you're just not getting the same amount of data coming in, and I think that that's, that's essentially what we're seeing in the net rankings. It's, it's breaking it, essentially. I mean, who really thinks that Colgate is the number 13 team in the country? You know, you've got teams with losing records like Penn State, who are 40th in the net rankings. You've got Kentucky, who's in the 40s somewhere with a losing record. And I think that there's just so much emphasis on the predictive metrics. It's just not it's not capturing accurately what what some teams should be like. I mean, if you look at the strength of record, you're seeing like Wichita State, as far as the metrics, they perform much better when you consider, hey, who did you play and who did you beat? So it's more heavily on the strength of schedule and actual end-game results. Wichita State's much stronger, but there's just a huge disparity with those analytical tools, and I think it's because of the few non-conference games that give you the the good data there. Yeah, because I think WSU, uh, I'm looking at now, they are 34 in or 35 in strength of record. So, you know, that's much better than, you know, some of the predictive um, measures like you're talking about. So when you look at just the matter of, you know, how WSU is doing based on its schedule, I think I've seen the wins above bubble. That's a popular, um, you know, thing that a lot of, you know, smart analytic folks, uh, you know, want the NCAA to look more at. I think WSU measures pretty well in the wins above a uh, bubble metric as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's kind of a weird deal where it's like, you know, uh, Shocker fans probably hope that th- this conversation wouldn't, they thought it might be over, you know, once they moved to the American, uh, you know, from the Missouri Valley. And here we are, you know, four years later where it's still an issue. Uh, and the Missouri Valley has two damn teams in the tournament <laughs> right now. We have what one. A, What's going on? What a year. What a year. But yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's such a strange year. 
and I've seen some people, um, somebody asked me is like, uh, are they, do they think that WSU is worried about, you know, moving to the American or didn't have as much of a payoff as, as they would have hoped. And I think this year, I mean, you can just kind of chalk it up to just, you know, this is such a strange, strange season, you know, with the coronavirus pandemic, I don't think you can take a lot of stock away from the season, you know, moving forward that, you know, the American is not, is looking like more of a one bid league than it is a multi-bid uh, league going forward. So I think the, the, the league is still strong. And I think in a normal year, you would see, you know, two, three, maybe even four teams in the mix. You know, I mean, SMU clearly has the talent. They, they just can't, for whatever can't reason, play the games. can't play the games, can't put it together when they do. So um, I think Memphis, you know, they were on a roll too, you know, right before uh, they had COVID issue, COVID-19 issues that shut them down. They were playing, you know, as well as anybody in the American, uh, you know, uh, basically that, that game against WSU when they beat them down by 20, that was basically the, the jump start for turning around their season. Uh, so I think they would have been in the mix. Then obviously Wichita State, you know, with a normal non-conference, they they put together. They were supposed to play Western Kentucky earlier this year. I mean, they had a really three games in in uh, North Dakota or South Dakota. You know, you look at the the games that they missed out on this year. You know, Wichita State would have uh, been uh, a entirely different season. You know, in a normal year where they play a full schedule, so I wouldn't be too worried if you're you know a WSU fan. You know, maybe nervous about you know being in the American. And looking at the the, the projections now, um, I would say moving forward, it's still a, a good conference to be in. Uh, clearly, the seventh best conference in the country. You know, there's still a little bit of a gap between them and that that major six, but I do think it's better than the A10. And um, you know, they've they've kind of separated themselves, and I think they're they're still going to be there moving forward with you know a higher ceiling to to go forward and um, and you know be a multiple multiple bid uh, conference. You know, looking at some of the teams that are around them, so Seton Hall looked to be, you know, they look to be solidly in the bracket by most most uh, of those who who study that sort of thing. They're fifty one in the net, but they are three and six against quadrant one, two and two against quadrant two. So same as Wichita State there. So they've had nine games versus Wichita State's four. They have a losing record. Their best win is on the road at Penn State, who has a losing record. So. I mean, you just like when I start to look at the actual resume of some of these teams and they have a quad three loss like Wichita State doesn't have a quad three loss. Like you look at Seton Hall, they've got that on their on their resume. So you just start going, eh, are they really that comfortably in that Wichita State's resume doesn't stack up? And I, I think that, you know, like we've talked about Wichita State being in the discussion, the more you talk about them, that win against Houston just is going to keep bubbling to the top. It's going to keep coming up in those conversations. And then you start talking about things like, you know, their two losses to Missouri and Oklahoma State, they were shorthanded, you know, and they've lost all these games due to other teams not being able, you know, failing their COVID restrictions and or failing at, at their protocols and having players come down with the virus. So, you know, being in that conversation hopefully helps and hopefully that, you know, gives gives Wichita State a leg up when you start breaking down the specific resumes. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of ironic because, you know, you look at a team, I was just looking at La Jolla in, you know, the Missouri Valley, you know, they're rated nine on Kempom. And kind of going back to your point, uh, Brian, about, um, you know, what gets overvalued in these predictive um, measures, you know, um, the just beating up on bad competition. I think that's having a huge effect in these ratings and why you're seeing some of these mid-major teams that are, you know, in bad conferences or not playing, 
you know, a great opponent or top 100, top 125 opponents like WSU is basically on a nightly basis. Um, you know, you look at Loyola's schedule, you know, they played with Wisconsin. They, they lost by 14. They played, a, you know, a top 60 Richmond team on a neutral floor, lost that game. So really, you know, their their best win is, you know, at Drake. You know, they split with Drake, uh, 47 in Ken Palm. Outside of that, they only have one other top 100 win. Uh, or uh, one other, uh, North Texas is 77, Missouri State is 87. So three other tops, uh, top 100 wins, but, you know, nothing that really stands out. Yet they're rated, you know, top 10 in the country in Ken Palm. It's just kind of ironic because, you know, this is what Wichita State was doing in the Missouri Valley. They were beating up on the, the bad Valley teams, and they always had good predictive um you know, measures, you know, they were, you know, you remember back in the Missouri Valley days when they were at the height of their power, they were always, you know, top 20 in the country in Ken Palm. Um, and now, you know, it's just kind of ironic because now the conference or the committee is starting to put more and more, you know, stock into these things after WSU leaves the, the Missouri Valley where, uh, you know, now it obviously doesn't help them as much. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so hard to, you know, try to rate these teams and, and try to, you know, just pick apart, you know, who's better than who, and it, it is kind of confusing. You know, people have asked me some good questions about, okay, how are these teams ranked ahead of Wichita State when you just look at their uh, look at their resumes? And, you know, it's a, it's a fair question to ask, and, you know, we obviously don't know what, what the net formula is, so we can't answer that question, but uh, it is a little confusing, and um, I would just remind people that these are obviously just the bracketologist's opinions. You know, obviously no one knows for sure, you know what the committee is do uh, is going to do. Uh, you know who knows which state might actually be on the right side of the bubble right now. Maybe they do value you know winning a regular season conference championship more than what bracketologists are giving them credit for. So um, yeah, it's just uh, it's so much you know speculation going into March and and obviously you know WSU controls its fate. You know that's the way they're looking at it. You know if we just take care of business and, and win in Fort Worth, you know there's no more questions to be asked. So. Uh, but for fans, you know, we we love to talk about the what ifs, and uh, you know, it's, we have time for it. So um, yeah, it's just a lot of fun to talk about and to think about and, and argue about. Shockers are eight and one in games decided by five points or less. That's tied for the most wins in the country this year and the second most in the program's history. But if you think about it, that's actually hurt their metrics. So by not going out and getting those big wins, to your point, like they used to do in the Valley days, hurting them a little bit on those predictive measures. But with regards to the Missouri Valley versus the American. Come on, people. I mean, are you kidding me? I'm looking at my guy on the left here, our beat writer. We're sending him to Cincinnati and to Memphis and to Tampa and Orlando. We're not sending him to Terre Haute and Carbondale and all these other places. So I will take the move to the American seven days a week, and and good times are ahead, even if this is a little bit of a strange season. Let's talk about that big win last week. Wichita State 68, number 6 Houston 63. Tyson Etienne, Altariq Gilbert have 16 points each. Dexter Dennis, Ricky Council the fourth were also in double digits. Let me tell you, I was at the game. 
That was the most fun that I've had at a basketball game since the Aftershocks were in town for that game at Coke Arena. And the reason for that, you know, maybe we got 2,500 people in there. It was loud. It was an atmosphere. People mm. are smacking the plastic chairs, making noise. They were excited for the opportunity. Obviously, it's their biggest win uh, versus, you know, since 1967 as far as having that highly ranked of an opponent. Uh, my hand was purple at the end of the game just from screaming and yelling and cheering. I didn't have a voice, and it was just nice to have a little Coke Arena magic again. So, big. I know, uh, obviously, we're six days past when the game happened now, but just your thoughts overall on that game by the Shockers and the fact that, you know, Houston had been the bully for so long. I believe we had six, you know, game losing streak against them, and for that night, the Shockers fought back and said, you know, we have some of that intensity as well. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, if you just look at in terms of just how the season has played out for Wichita State and you know, all the uncertainty at the start of the season and how unlikely and how much of an underdog story this is that the Shockers are even in, you know, playing this game with those kind of stakes, you know, in late February. I mean, I was talking to, you know, a guy who's been on the staff for uh, pretty much the whole Marshall run, and he said that this game, it ranks up there for me, you know, in terms of just favorite wins, you know, at, at Coke Arena. And I think this this game meant so much to these players, uh, to the coaching staff because, you know, this was kind of the, the peak, you know, this, they've been through so much together. They've gone through so much doubt and, you know, uh, you know, COVID-19 issues, uh, you know, with the, with themselves, you know, at the start of the season and having to, you know, get over the disappointment of, of other teams not being able to play and all the off court drama with, you know, the, the, the Marshall stuff, but right before the season, this team has been through a lot. And I think you saw kind of that emotional release, uh, when they when they were able to finally put together probably you know the best you know 35 minutes or uh, 25 minutes of basketball that they've played you know those final 25 minutes of the game um, you know that was Wichita State at its best and uh, for the Shockers to finally be able to put that together and get that that marquee win you know absolutely had to have it if you want to go dancing you know as an at-large team you know it started with a Houston win. And, uh, you know, with all the stakes, first place at stake, you know, a top 10 opponent, haven't done that in, you know, uh, 50 years. Um, just so much pressure going into that game. So very impressive performance by the Shockers. Um, yeah, I mean, it just meant so much to those guys. And uh, like I said, I mean, that was one of the, the coach I talked to said that was probably one of his favorite wins of his Shocker career. So um, that just goes to show just how much, fun these guys are having how much this means to them having the season that they're on and and man what a what a run that they're on right now the quotes by Kelvin Sampson after the game and then the following days were fantastic. He said, you know, I almost lost my lunch when I was looking at the film. What have we talked about all season? Rebounding. The Shockers out-rebound Houston 35-33. to Houston was one of the top uh, defensive uh, teams in the country as far as three-point percentage. Shockers shoot over 40% from three and only had one point guard. So, you know, you had Altari Gilbert playing a lot of minutes. He scored 16 points, but, you know, had some depth issues there and and just it was kind of the opposite of the first game down in Houston where the Shockers had that big lead and gave it up. Let Houston get off to a pretty big league in the first half, and it's like, oh, no. But they rallied within three, I believe, at halftime, and then it was like— No, it, it was in the, within one, wasn't it? They almost tied it? Uh, Might have been, but it was just a boxing match in the second half. You know, it was just you know, punches going back and forth, the intensity on both sides. It, it was just a, a fantastic basketball game. Yeah, and— 
Uh, you know, Houston came in with uh, one of the best three-point shooting defenses in the country, and the Shockers made seven three-pointers in a row. Uh, you know, for a team that was just, you know, a little below average, the national average, you know, that's just unreal. Uh, you know, that's just, you know, pretty much just uh, it comes down to sheer luck. And, um, you know, Altery Gilbert was making some crazy, crazy threes there at the start of the second half. And, um, but, you know, when you're playing at home and, you know, you, you start to feel it, you know, that's that's the stuff that, you know, you believe that you can do. And once you get that confidence going, you know, they don't view it as luck at all, you know, on the field. But, uh, you know, I would love to know in the last time WSU's made seven threes in a row. That's that's very impressive, let alone do it against one of the best defenses in college basketball. So that's why I was talking to some of the coaches before the game. We were kind of talking about, you know, keys to the game, what absolutely has to happen. And they said that we have to absolutely, you know, maybe not win the rebounding battle, but at least, you know, play them neutral. And that's exactly what Wichita State did. They, they uh, edged them out. Um, you know, they out-rebounded them 35-33. If you look at the offensive rebounding percentages, you know, WSU had two less chances. Uh, so the 15, both teams had 15 rebounds, but WSU's percentage was a little bit higher. So, um, you know, WSU, they didn't get the defensive rebounding performance they probably wanted, but it was just good enough. Where they really made their hay was on the offensive uh, end of the floor. For them to get 15 offensive rebounds against Houston was big time. I know Mo Udeze only got credit for six offense or six of those rebounds, but you know if you go back and watch the tape with all of his uh, tip outs and you know just hitting balls off of Houston out of bounds, uh, getting second possessions. IB said he charted him at getting his hands on 15 rebounds, uh, at least having some kind of say in them. So it just goes to show you. I mean that was arguably you know Mo Udeze only takes one shot. But he blocks five shots, career high, six rebounds. Like, and then with IB said, you know, fifteen of them he had an impact on. So that was arguably Mo's most important game of his career, the best defensive performance by far. Uh, you know, if you watch the tape, I mean, he was a shot blocking monster. You know, it had not looked like that pretty much ever in his career. And you know, WSU was able to, to uh, you know, they played that gap defense where they help off, they try to stave off dribble penetration. And when Houston would just keep the ball moving and finally get that that edge, that advantage, Mo was the their racer. I mean, that, that's something we haven't seen for WSU, you know, since Jaime Echenique was back there, uh, you know, guarding the rim as a seven footer. So, uh, such a, a big time job by Mo. And uh, to get back to my main point, I was I was you know to beat Houston, I said you know you're gonna have to rebound at least neutralize them and then have a good night you know shooting the ball from the three-point line that's exactly what the shockers did 10 three-pointers you know 45.5 percent that's going to get the job done a lot of nights especially against you know a, a, a great defense like houston that can be what decides the game and and ultimately that's that's what it was the Shockers are 13 and 13 at home versus AP top 10 opponents in the modern era. Game was won at the charity stripe. They were plus 13 in points off of free throws. Houston, get this shot, zero free throws in the first half. They were zero for zero. So the Shockers take care of business. Missed a couple free throws late. Tyson misses the front end of the one and one, but Dexter was there almost with that identical play that you saw in Houston. Kind of lags behind the guy. Looked like a uh, NFL free safety. Just got the ball, heads to the other court, and ends up kind of sealing the game for him. Looking like Dirty Dan out there, the honey badger. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, like you said. I mean, uh, IB actually mentioned that in his post game press conference that Dexter did, you know, a very similar thing in the first game against Houston. And, you know, it wasn't exactly the, the same play, but it was very similar. It was the same read, basically, where, you know, Houston, Houston's trying to push the ball in transition. Dexter is basically just uh, waiting back by his own three point line, reading the eyes of the, the, the offense. And he said that, you know, if you go back and watch, uh, you know, that was obviously off of a missed free throw. WSU didn't put anybody in the paint, so they had all four guys back. And Houston, I think, had two back. And what Dexter did was kind of he kind of hid behind the pack with, you know, Houston's guys running down the court. Uh, he was able to, to basically camouflage himself. He got down, crouched, crouched down low, and he just read Jarreau's eyes. And it was an ill-advised pass. You know, that's not a, you know, when you're trying to absolutely take care of the ball, you do not want to be throwing cross-court passes, you know, with that that little amount of time left. And uh, Jarreau committed the, you know, the cardinal sin, and Dexter did a great job of baiting him into it. And just, uh, you know, such a good jump on the ball and just uh, caught it, ran through. It looked like, a you know, a pick six going into the other end zone and, and obviously forced the flagrant foul. And that was the key. I mean, if they don't get the flagrant foul, I mean, he's at the line shooting two, and uh, Houston still has a chance to at least tie it. Um, you know, at worst uh, after that. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's the game-saving play because, you know, if that doesn't happen, Houston's putting the ball in Quentin Grimes' hands down one. You know, he's probably going to attack or, you know, pull up, and that shot, you know, that, that could sink WSU. That could have lost them the game. So cannot understate the importance of that that play by Dexter Dennis. Another standout defensive performance from him. I don't know if he's the defensive player of the year in the American. I'm going to have to, you know, c- kind of dig in some of the numbers and, and see what it says. But you have to think, you know, if you're putting together a first-team all-defensive team, Dexter Dennis is on it. Tyson was named the AAC Player of the Week for the third time this season. That is tied for the most in the league. Do you think he's the front-runner right now for Conference Player of the Year? Man, that's tough. I'm gonna, I think it's going to come down to the details, too. I think that one... Um, I think he definitely has a chance, you know, if Wichita State wins the conference, that's going to help his chances of, of winning the conference player of the year. And uh, I went back and looked and he's actually won that conference player of the week award more times than anybody else in the conference. And uh, three times now, there's been a couple other guys that have won it twice, but you know, he's starting, he's, he's got that respect, you know, from the conference and uh, you know, th- those are the people that vote on this award. So I think he, he definitely has a chance um, you know, I would say that Quentin Grimes probably would have been the, the front runner before this. You know, uh, Kendrick Davis, uh, he's been electric for SMU. I think he's the most impactful. Well, he played in five games. Come on, exactly. you can't be with this. <laughs> exactly. He hasn't played in uh, in a, the enough games, and you know who knows how the end of their season is going to look. So I think that's kind of dropped him from consideration just because of simple games played. So yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, you know, you look on Ken Palm, Quentin Grimes is in first place right now. But, I mean, I think with the eye test and how much Tyson means to Wichita State, you know, Quentin Grimes, I think Houston would still be, uh, you know, a great team without Quentin Grimes. Obviously, he's, uh, you know, a great player, adds a lot for them. But, you know, they, they have such a good system and so many good guards. I think they could obviously <laughs> they get by. They lost the preseason player yeah. of the year. They're still, yeah, I mean, they're man, still a top it's 10. It's a factory yeah. over there. Yeah, so... um. If you're talking talking just in sheer terms and most valuable, man, yeah, I don't know if you can make a case more uh, than Tyson Etienne, what he means to Wichita State's offense, even when he's not scoring. Too, you saw him play point guard in that in that Houston game, just because of the the lack of depth. And you know, 
three three assists, zero turnovers. We don't talk about this enough. His ball handling, you know, this is we haven't seen this since like Connor Frankamp, his senior year. I think he was like top ten in the nation in terms of turnover percentage. But Tyson Etienne is on the ball way more than what Connor was on the ball, and Tyson's turnover rate six point eight percent. To per, to put that in perspective, that is the fourteenth best in the country. So. Um, one of the best ball handlers in the country, and you have to imagine he's probably one of the higher usage players on that that list. So um, he's putting together a spectacular season. I I thought it was kind of reminiscent of Marcus McDuffie a couple years ago, but man, he's uh, you know he's making the tough shots that McDuffie hit on top of playmaking, and de- he's defending it. You know, not not a lot of people talk about his defense. Too. He's a pretty solid defender. But his playmaking, the gravitational pull that he has on defenses, uh, just a little bit different than what Marcus was doing. It's at a different position, too. So I think that Tyson's value to this team, you just can't can't overstate it. And I, I do think he has made a very strong case for the AAC Player of the Year. Like I said, I'll have to dig into the details and see how he looks and kind of under the hood. But from my standpoint, yeah, I mean, I, I would vote for him Player of the Year right now if the season ended today. Going back to Houston, I think big picture what you take away from both of these games is the Shockers should not be afraid of playing in a game with Houston. I mentioned you had the six-game losing streak. You kind of get rid of those demons, but you were up 10 on the road. You took care of business at home, and if it comes down to it and we're in the AAC tournament and you're playing them in the championship, there, there's no fear on the Shockers end in my uh, mind. You know, You might lose the game, but you match up somewhat well with them obviously they have a lot of length and and uh some fantastic defense but i i think the shockers could beat them again if they had to yeah i mean i think you you proved today that i mean you, you proved in both games really you know you, you look at that first matchup you know they were the better team for you know the first 20 22 minutes of that game and um i think this is more of an even matchup than what you know ken palm would tell you i think a, a houston was a, a pretty big favorite going into that on ken palm and um, yeah, I mean, Wichita State, you know, they're just, <laughs> they've, they've mastered the art of, you know, the, oh, oh, yes, no, 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 yes, no, yes, wins. I mean, they, they, they do so well to, you know, build these leads, then they almost blow them, and then you're like, what is this team doing? They're trying to give this game away, and then in the final two minutes, it just seems like whether it's Tyson or Altry Gilbert has been very, very good in clutch, in clutch time for WSU these last few games. They just seem to find a way in these last two minutes to, you know, pull it out. And uh, you just cannot, you know, I know people always point to, uh, you know, complain about the luck factor on Kempom, but I think there is something to be said about, you know, the way the Shockers just keep finding ways to win these games. You know, they don't have to shoot over 40%. Uh, you know, it doesn't always have to be pretty. I mean, they're going to make a lot of mistakes, but. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the most important thing is that you win the game, and and that's what WSU is doing. And on this little five-game wing streak, uh, they have actually survived a banked-in three four times. Dustin, are you willing to admit? Are you willing to admit they've conquered the curse? They've conquered the curse. <laughs> the banked-in three is dead. I, I've gotten several tweets on the matter. Okay, yes, I, I was dead. a holdout. <laughs> I was a holdout, but the banked in three. It's is dead. it's crazy. Banks always open when you're playing the four, Shockers four baby. times and like down the stretch too. All those are like crucial banked in shots and yeah, it just it's unreal to to get one or two of those. But man, to get four, four. in a five game stretch and all, all of them being yeah, all like of them down being the stretch, crucial. yeah, that's that's nuts. 
Now, and you don't have the two SMU games in there, but I remember a couple weeks ago on the podcast when you're saying, you know, the Shockers, as far as Kinpom is concerned, are expected to lose four out of the next six. Yeah. Now they're sitting here at nine and two. Mm-hmm. Let's look the rest of the way. I mean, let's just go with the information we have here on Wednesday night. But the Shockers are at nine and two with games at Tulane, at Temple. We think Memphis will get added in there. Houston, 12 and three. They play South Florida, and then they're at Memphis to end the season. Memphis, eight and three. They play Tulane, at Cincy, at South Florida, and Houston. And then SMU, you know, will have been off for like three weeks, but they're seven and four. They'll play at Cincy and Tulsa. So, you know, I think the first thing you got to hope for is that you're just a, a one or two. So if Houston wins the league, um, that, you know, you're the two seed, so you don't have to play them till the championship. How would the tiebreaker actually work? If So if Shockers lose another game, what does that come down to at that point? Yeah, I mean, the conference is just going to sort it straight up by winning percentage. So, I mean, there's probably not going to be a tie with WSU just because of, you know, the odd number of games that they've played. And obviously Houston's played a, a lot more. So on winning percentage, um, you know, if WSU drops one more and, and Houston wins out, then Houston will be the... Uh, the conference champion, even though both of them have two losses, so that's just the way that the you know it, it breaks this year. But yeah, they're they're just gonna sort it sort it in straight winning percentage, basically. So yeah, but I mean, you look at the top three teams in theory. If they add this Memphis at Wichita State game, all all three will play each other. So you'll have a Memphis at Wichita State, and you'll have a Houston at Memphis. Do you think Memphis is a type of team that could beat a Houston? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Memphis, uh, like I said, they were rolling. Uh, you know, before uh, COVID-19 shut them down, I thought they were playing really good basketball. Uh, you know, they got the the offense figured out. That was their biggest issue. You know, they still make, you know, some some of the, you know, worst turnovers you'll ever see. But, you know, they have a lot of offensive talent. And then, you know, that run and jump style on defense really works for them. And, uh, you know, they, they're kind of they do what uh, Houston kind of does. And, you know, when both those teams get together, it's a it's a pretty good uh, you know, defensive uh, intense games. So um, I think, yeah, Memphis uh, certainly, you know, they're they're playing for their NCAA lives too. They they believe they can still get in the field as an at-large. Uh, you know, obviously they can't do that without Memphis a win. Memphis is always cocky and overinflated <laughs> sense of their program. I'm just going to say that. But, yes, continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, they can't get in without a win over Houston. So they know they're basically in the same uh, position as, as Wichita State. So that's a game that they're going to absolutely have to have. And, um, you know, it's going to be a big week because, you know, I think, uh, you know, if, if the conference does put that, that game, uh, Wichita State Memphis next week at Thursday, you know, they would play, um, Wichita State and then Houston. So those are the two biggest games for Memphis. And then obviously, you know, they have to survive, you know, at Sensi at USF, you know, those road games are always difficult. Um, so it's not, you know, it's, that's not a cakewalk either. So they, they've got a lot of work to do. Uh, you know, the last two weeks of the season, they're going to play five times. Uh, so, you know, they, they've got a lot of work to, you know, make up for these games. And um, and same for Houston. You know, you look at these three teams, uh, you know, WSU obviously has the easiest path left, you know, as it stands right now. Um, you know, at Tulane, at Temple, yes, they're both road games. But, you know, those are two of the three bottom teams in the conference. But, you know, as WSU has proven this year, I don't think they're capable of blowing anybody out. You know, it seems like whoever they play is going to be, you know, down to the last two minutes, it seems like. So (laughs) can't take anything for granted there either if you're a Shocker fan. And then, you know, Memphis at home, that's not an easy game too. Uh, You know, that's a kind of a bad matchup for WSU. You know, Memphis really got under them. 
uh, you know, in that game back in Memphis. That's the only time WSU has looked, you know, really, really bad for 40 minutes this season. You know, they've been in pretty much every other game uh, other than that one. So, um, you know, the Shockers are going to have to prove themselves, you know, even if that is at home and they've had some success against Memphis at home. Uh, they're gonna have to bring their A game if they want to win that game. If that ends up, uh, if that does end up going on the schedule, but you have to like the way the schedule breaks for WSU. And then, uh, you know, worst case scenario, you know that game doesn't, you know, they they can't fit it in, and then you know you're left with, uh, you know, road games at Tulane, at Temple. You know, if you if you told them at the start of the season, those are the two wins that separate you from an outright American championship. You know, I think WSU would have taken that every single time. I want to hang a banner, baby. They hang banners for regular season championships, and regardless if it's a crazy year, I think with all that the Shockers have been through, they they deserve a banner, and it'd be nice to see an American logo up on one of them instead of all those Valley logos. If you remember the game against Tulane in Wichita, you're up 20. They end up winning 75-67, to but that got close late. That Temple matchup was not a good one for them. Actually, in my opinion, Temple should have won the game in Wichita, so to your point, nothing uh, guaranteed guaranteed there a little bit of recruiting news these last couple weeks you were uh, not on the show last week so maybe just talk about kind of what it's been like for the Shockers to be getting back out there and making some offers yeah I mean I think that's kind of a testament to you know this current winning streak and the growing belief that the staff has that they could you know get the full-time job you know Um, I think uh, Tyson Waterman was basically the one behind all those offers Um, you know he was the one that uh, he ended up offering four kids that talked to two others uh, expressed interest too. I think they offered uh, another kid or two uh, yesterday too. So you know they're back in the recruiting game, and uh, you know that that's basically what they said. Um, you know they just want to get their name back out there. You know they they've been pretty silent on the recruiting path, and uh, you know they just uh, as simple as it gets is you know they want Wichita State's brand out there, and they felt like they could capitalize on it. You know with their current winning streak, first place in the conference. Um, Yes, they don't have, you know, contracts for next season. You know, they can't promise these kids that they'll be there. But, uh, you know, at least making those first uh, conversations, you know, they're not trying to recruit too many kids for 2021. These are mostly 2022 and 23 kids that they're looking for. So, um, yeah, I mean, and with the NCAA, you know, allowing everybody back, this is a free year of eligibility. I think some fans kind of forget that. Uh, you know, it's not like Trey Wade and all. They wouldn't Gilbert. forget it if they listen to this show. You bring it up every week, you try and get it into these people's head. But I yeah. see them on Shocker Dad and on Twitter. Uh, oh, did you see Taylor said this? I mean, yes, people, come on. <laughs> but continue. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, and it's not like so. Trey Wade's not you know automatic graduation. All Street Gilbert's not automatically done. I think it is a question you know if they do come back because you know obviously you know their their time schedule. You know you can start making pro money. Uh, now, so I think that's going to be a conversation they have to have at the end of the season. Uh, IB said that he hasn't talked to any of those guys yet about whether if they're coming back or not. You know, obviously, I think a lot of these kids are going to wait until to, to see what WSU does with the full time coaching position uh, before they make that decision. Um, and then, you know, obviously, Alterique and Trey are in unique positions because, like I said, I mean, they can go and start making pro money compared to coming back, you know, for as good as, you know, a fifth or sixth year in college sounds, you know, making, you know, X amount of dollars and helping provide for your family, that that sounds pretty good too. So uh, those are tough decisions that they're going to have to make. Uh, IB did say that, you know, he hasn't heard from anyone that, that you know, it's wanting to transfer. Or everyone's basically said, that, hey, let's run it back next year. Obviously with the success they've had this year, 
That's pretty tantalizing. It's not a good hashtag to use. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's going to depend a lot on, you know, what Darren Boatwright and Wichita state decides to do. And, um, yeah, it's going to be, I think uh, a lot of kids aren't going to make up their minds until, until that decision by WSU is made. And I have a little rant on that as well for the second time this season. Can we stop after every single game saying, can we offer a full-time contract to Coach Brown? Can we remove the interim tag? I agree with this winning streak and the way that this season has gone. With each passing day, it becomes more and more likely that IB will be the full-time coach. But to Matt Norlander's point of CBS Sports, Wichita State is the best opening in college basketball right now. It's a top... 30 to 40 job in college basketball. I think they owe it to the program to go through this full season and to have a national search because it's a national caliber program with the fan support now being in the American and and everything else that goes along with being the top dog at Wichita State. Yes, IB has done a fantastic job. And if I had to put money on his day, he would be the guy next year. But these fans on Twitter or on Facebook, or mainly Facebook, or everywhere else says, why hasn't he given him a contract yet? I mean, can we can we just wait till the end of the season? If they go out and lose to Tulane and lose to Temple, not that that would necessarily drastically change things, but that would make the perspective a little different here if you're you know not playing in the NCAA tournament, maybe not even playing in the NIT. So can we just... Let the process play out. Now, why do we have to have this instant <laughs> decision or everyone to know? The players in the locker room aren't saying, hey, interim Coach Brown, can I do this or can I do that? He's the coach. So let's let this season play out and go from there. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good point. I, I can understand why people are frustrated, though. I mean, uh, for one, just what we talked about, recruiting. I think a lot of people are worried that Wichita State is falling behind in recruiting uh, but like I said, I mean, uh, as we pointed out, you know, there is a possibility where, you know, if Brown is retained as the head coach, they might not need to recruit for 2021 if they have the majority of these guys coming back. And there's always going to be, you know, good recruits, especially in this year and the pandemic. There are going to be good recruits available, you know, in the spring recruiting uh, cycle, just because so many people are waiting to see what happens. And, uh, you know, so, you know, once that stuff all shakes out, if you keep this current coaching staff, everyone's fired up by how well they played this year. They love IB. They Let's say 11 of the 13 say they're going to come back. Well, now you only need two recruiting spots. Probably not going to have to, you know, bring in any impactful, you know, uh, players. So it's not, you can kind of be a little pick, uh, you know, a little choosy when it comes to recruiting. It's not the end of the world. Um, so, but, you know, if you, if you go in a different direction and, you know, some of these guys do decide, hey, we came here to play for Greg Marshall, you know, this was okay because, you know, the rest of the coaching staff stayed. I think that's an that's important point, too, that IB deserves so much credit for getting everyone to buy in. You know, I think it's so uh, impressive that no one decided to transfer after Greg Marshall was, you know, uh, resigned and um, you know, left. And, you know, th- that was a coach that, you know, all these players came to play for all their families sent, trusted their, you know, their sons to, to come play for. And when he was gone, you know, I think in a lot of situations you would see, you know, at least one, maybe two or three, uh, to say, Hey, we're just going to find better situations, especially with basically the free year this year, uh, for everybody to stay. I think that shows you the respect that Isaac Brown has, amongst these players and you're starting to see you know from former players you know Fred Ron guys like that are all tweeting about IB their support you've seen a couple other I think Ramon Clemente Shadrach Lafiel 
all those guys are pro IB that they want him to get the job. I was just talking to Tyson Etienne today. He's he said, you know, we want Isaac Brown to get this job. We think he's done everything, uh, you know, everything he's needed to do to prove himself as the head coach. So I can definitely understand, you know, why people want to see him be given that 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 full time contract. But like you said, I mean, I. I, I get it from, you know, you have to put yourselves in the shoe of, uh, you know, the shoes of Darren Boatwright, too. You know, you don't want to make a snap, uh, you know, decision just based on, you know, one big win. And obviously it's not just one big win. They're, they're 13 and four in first place because of the body of work. But, you know, like you said, I mean, this is a top 30, top 40 job right now. They're the best job on the market. So, I mean, I don't think you could blame WSU too much for wanting to say, OK, let's let's see, you know, what's what's available, what's out there. But on the same side, I mean, I can also see why that would be, you know, some people might might view that as maybe a slap in the face of Isaac Brown. You know, what more do you want him to do? He's done everything you've asked him, done even more exceeded expectations. This was a team that was picked seventh in the conference in first place heading into the into March now. So, um, uh, you know, what more do you want to see from him? So, um, but I mean, regardless of what happens, I think, you know, IB and all the, all these uh, guys on the coaching staff have set themselves up pretty well for the future. I mean, I think IB is going to be a head coach somewhere, uh, you know, in the very, very near future, you know, if he's not at Wichita State next year. I think one thing that's kind of interesting is the, you know, everybody says, hey, remove the interim tag, give him a full deal, you know, do that now. He's in the middle of coaching a basketball season and trying to win a championship, and you want to throw him and an agent into contract negotiations now. Like, to me, like, trying to remove an interim tag and all that stuff just adds way more complication than you ever want to be trying to deal with at this moment. You know, just let him do his job. Let him do, you know, he's he's on contract for this year. You know, they gave him a deal for this year, and let Doesn't him finish the season. Doesn't seem to be bothered by the interim yeah. tag, so it, just... Let him do it. And then at the end of the year, he absolutely is going to get an interview. He's going to get an opportunity to get the job. So just relax, chill out. We're we're gonna find out. And and I think he's he's got a great shot at getting it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think right now he's the odds-on favorite, not to his fault. The one thing we haven't seen is building a schedule. But the best news that Taylor's tweeted out in a long time, the Shockers are going to Vegas next year, baby. November 19th through the 21st, MGM main event. Wichita State, Michigan, Arizona, UNLV. I think that's a fantastic field. There would be some additional uh, games on top of that where you'd play a few home games and then go to Vegas. But uh, pretty pretty big contract or pretty big get there for Wichita State. Yeah, yeah. You know, credit goes to Dominic O'Cone. I mean, he's the the schedule maker for WSU, director of basketball operations. Uh, he's the man that gets that stuff like that done, you know, behind the scenes. Uh, it doesn't get a lot of love, but, um, yeah, I mean, I know Greg Marshall gave him, uh, you know, a lot of props when he was there, and obviously he stayed and uh, with IB, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just business is normal for him, so he does a great job getting this stuff uh, lined up for WSU, and, uh, yeah, like you said, that's a great field. You know, Michigan's looking like a, you know, a national title contender this year, and obviously Arizona's always good. Uh, UNLV will be interesting next year with a lot of guys coming back. Uh, Wichita native Chris Grill or uh, Caleb Grill, sorry, um, uh, he's he's playing really well for the Run Rebels, so that'll be a fun uh, trip, I think, for Shocker fans. And uh, most, yeah, it's on a weekend, so you know, going to Vegas for a weekend in November, you know, it's not a beach, it's not you know a tropical location, but that's probably the next best. Uh, you know, if you're asking for a travel destination for for a conference tournament, so hopefully, yeah, we can get 
you know, the vaccinations, all this stuff out, and COVID is not as big of an issue, and uh, a lot of people can get there and yeah, enjoy that venue. Yeah, it's at the T-Mobile Arena, which is the new arena that they built out there that the Las Vegas Golden Knights hockey team plays at, and uh, you know, to your point, just a fantastic field and and i think a lot of shocker fans would make that trip you can take a direct out on southwest i I think frontier now has a direct and so you know about a two and a half hour flight and and we're watching shocker basketball so you can expect to see old dk there in vegas in november and (laughs) and uh, we'll have more on that next season but it's been a great show let's wrap it up with a great buy or sell all right so we've talked a lot about schedule buy or sell wichita state gets three games before the conference tournament, I'll buy that. I think uh, I think the Memphis game right now is tentatively scheduled, so I think the conference will find a way to to fit that game in. So I think they get three. I don't think they get the non-conference though. So. I'll buy it as well. Although, you know, every single week we'll be lucky to see two <laughs> games, and so now we think we're going to have a week with three games. I just don't know, but I'll, I'll still. That buy is it. a good point. There could be COVID issues with other programs, so exactly. I guess that is out, outside the temple. Control. Yeah, those those things could happen. All right, and similarly, you know, we didn't exactly blow out Tulane and Temple in previous matchups. By yourself, is there? Do you see Wichita State tripping up? You know, they get all the way to this point; they're in first place. Do you see they get this long break? Does Russ develop? Do they trip up unexpectedly down the stretch? I'll sell that. I think this Houston game is is really going to propel them. Now, if they don't play, if they play on their current schedule, they're not going to play for 13 days. And so we've seen other programs. We just saw Baylor the other night coming off a long layoff, and they fell behind to Iowa State, did come back and win that. But it's hard to keep that rhythm when you're not playing you know, live games. I'm not worried about Tulane whatsoever. Temple, ever since we've joined the American, and Taylor kind of said these are Taylor's <laughs> Temple Owls, has just – it's it's always come down to the last second. And like I said, I, I didn't think they really deserved to win the game uh, in Wichita. I was on Super Bowl Sunday, so my, my heart was a little uh, broken later in the day. So maybe I was just feeling crummy. But uh, I don't know. But I, I think this team wants to win the regular season championship, and, and there's too much on the line. I also think they beat Memphis. So Memphis coming to town, they had a lot of guys who throw up a lot of bricks that saw three-pointers going through uh, when we played down there in Memphis and, and was not a good matchup down there, but I, I think we take care of business here. Yeah, I saw that too. I think uh, I was curious. I asked Tyson about that today, actually. I was like, how, how have you... How has this team, you know, responded to, you know, success like this? You know, you're coming off a top top six win. You know, you're back in the headlines, back in the, you know, national spotlight. How do you think practices have gone? He said that, you know, WSU has responded about as well as he could have hoped. You know, obviously that he was part of, you know, that success they had last year and you know, to start the year. And he said that, you know, the, uh, the team looked just as hungry, if not, you know, even more hungry. Uh, they're focused. You know, they, they were disappointed. They weren't able to play SMU this week. But, you know, he said that the practices have been crisp and, you know, they're they're ready to go. And I don't think I would be a little more worried if that first game back was at Temple. I think Temple has a little more juice in it than uh, than Tulane. But I think uh, just the way that the, the schedule works. And like I said, I think that that Monday that uh, Tulane game will get moved up a couple of days. So uh, I think that'd be 11 day break, which still isn't ideal, but still 
Um, you know, I, th- I think that is kind of a nice game to ease your way back into competition. You know, it is on the road, but, you know, Tulane is probably dealing with, you know, if you look at it just as a, as a talent perspective, you know, probably, you know, the 11th best team in the conference. So, you know, for which I'll say if they go down there and play well, they're going to get the job done. I think this team is really locked in and focused. And now, you know, they can see that goal. You know, it's, it's tangible. They can, you know, their first place in the standings, they know what all these games mean. So I think they're so focused and locked in to trying to win this championship. I don't think they're going to, you know, stumble like that on the road. What's interesting, this is only the second time since moving to the American the Shockers have played at Tulane. I was at the first game. Dexter Dennis hit a three-pointer game winner winner at the end of the game in front of the family. I turned around and hugged one of his uncles. Uh, (laughs) Tulane plays in a gym about the size of East High School. The thing is not very big at all. That was when uh, Mike Dunleavy was the coach. Wasn't a whole lot of atmosphere there, but uh, I I think they do take care of it. A lot more atmosphere outside of the... Out on the There's streets. a lot of atmosphere at the boot, uh, the bar down the street. <laughs> All right, we talked about Tyson Etienne, just his performance over the course of the season being so phenomenal. So buy or sell, he gets conference player of the year. You don't know who's going to win the conference, but is he the guy who gets it? I man, I'm going to sell that. I think I think it's going to go to Grimes. I think he was just named to like the Jerry West Watch Awards. So that's like the top five. Shooting guard, which is kind of strange because I don't know if he's won the conference player of the week more than once. Um, I think Sasser has actually won it twice. I can't remember though, but um, yeah, I mean, I think I think they're just gonna go with uh, Houston just because they are the top ten team. Even if they don't win the conference, if it comes down to percentage points, uh, even if they're second place, I think the the rest of the conference, uh, you know, is gonna view Houston in, in that kind of light. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that you know, unless Tyson just goes bonkers, you know, these last three we these last three games, I think it's going to go to Grimes just because of the way that Houston Houston is viewed nationally. I'm going to sell that as well. I agree with Taylor, but I think we all know who Coach of the Year is going to our man IB. Yeah, I, I I would agree there, and I I think it's a slam dunk as far as as far as that's concerned. So uh, finally. We talked a little bit. There's one more, essentially, a week of the regular season for Wichita State now. Conference tournament time. Does Wichita State make a run for the conference title? What tournament make a run? What tournament, make a run? Tournament Consider. title. They win tournament, the conference they win the whole tournament. Thing? Can you? Do you see this team? They've got this momentum. Do they win the conference tournament? I mean, that's always been. It's 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 fluky. It's crazy. You've got the dumbest pandemic of our time. You know what? What do you see happening? Yeah, I'm gonna sell that. Um, I was in Fort Worth last year when all everything got canceled, and it's crazy to think about we're coming up on the one year anniversary of that. I think Houston is pretty pissed off from that game uh, last week, and so you know, even though the Shockers match up with them well, I, you know, also what's the tournament bracket gonna look like? Are we gonna have eleven teams? Or are we gonna have six teams? I just think there's so many unknowns. Uh, you know, maybe you play SMU for the first time in the tournament, and they're hungry, and, and they're right there in Dallas, Fort Worth. But I, I don't have the confidence just yet. I'm gonna sell it. I will. I think they they're gonna make the conference uh, final, so I'll buy that if that qualifies. I think, um, you know, if they do hold on to this number one seed, that's crucial because you know the two teams you don't want to see. You know, before I guess it depends on you know if you feel like you're fighting for your NCAA tournament at large life. You know, maybe you do want to see Memphis in the semifinals, but you know, in terms of if you're just trying to win this thing, you know, Houston and Memphis, those are the two teams that probably give WSU the most problems. 
Um, so if they get that number one seed, you know, Houston and Memphis probably going to be the two, three. Um, so that would be a very nice setup for WSU. Then you're looking at, you know, who knows what happens with SMU if they're even able to come off of, you know, COVID. Um, you know, maybe they, they can't even play in the conference tournament. That moves up Cincinnati, Tulsa uh, to that 4-5 matchup. So, you know, those are two teams that WSU feels very confident against that, that, that they can beat. And, uh, you know, then obviously they're going to get, you know, that, that eight – Whoever wins the, the first round matchup between you know a team like East Carolina, UCF, USF, somebody like that. So um, I think it sets up pretty nicely for WSU to make a run if it's able to get that number one seed. If they fall to two, um, fall in that two three matchup, then that's going to be a little more dicey. But I do think WSU is going to you know sets up nicely to make a run. I don't know if they're going to win the conference tournament championship, but I do think they make it to the final. All right, I just want to check Twitter here real quick and make sure nothing's changed in the <laughs> schedule. But uh, looks like, yeah, as of Wednesday night, everything is the same. Be sure to uh, be paying attention to uh, Kansas.com all week and, and Taylor's Twitter account, at Taylor Eldridge, and uh, I'm sure you'll be keeping us updated. Anything else that uh, you kind of have on your radar? Yeah, I'm actually, I talked to uh, a couple of the players, you know, Dexter Dennis, Altariq Gilbert, Tyson, about um, I'm doing a kind of a, a feature on mental health. I know they've talked to uh, a couple of people recently about about their their you know struggles and and what it was like for them uh, going through that stuff and just uh, the growing need to you know just get it more out in the open. You know, uh, all these guys that I've talked to say you know college basketball players, especially at this level of D1 ball, they kind of view themselves as you know invincible. You know, any kind of signs of you know struggle or anything is kind of viewed as a weakness and you know, the more and more people talk about it, um, they, they realize that it's not a weakness. You know, it's actually kind of what Tyson Etienne told me. He's like, he doesn't view it as a weakness at all to admit that, you know, mental health problems. He views it as, you know, courageous. You know, it takes a lot of strength to, to speak up. And, you know, it's such a, you know, a macho man, you know, Division One basketball players are expected to be this. And I think, the, the more people talk about it, and especially and I think in the Wichita State program, they've done a great job under IB, you know, making sure everyone is doing well with their mental health. And you if you follow Dexter Dennis on Twitter, you know, he always tweets, you know, mental health is just as important as your physical health. So I'm going to do kind of a deep dive on that. And um, so that that should be coming up soon. It's nice to kind of have a little bit of a break here to kind of line up stories and, um, you know, work on stuff. I'll have a, a story coming up on the job. Uh, IB is done and just uh, what all went into that that win over Houston um, kind of just what what's worked under him why WSU has been able to have this kind of success so look uh, look out for that stuff yeah at the end of the week maybe early next week uh, and then like like you said you know follow me on Twitter that's where uh, you know a lot of the schedule news is going to start breaking I would assume you know maybe even late Wednesday night maybe tomorrow uh, Thursday morning so I would expect to hear you know, what Wichita schedule is going to be like uh, here pretty soon. So a lot of a lot of crazy stuff happening right now, but we'll, we'll try to keep you up to date on it. We've had a long show, so maybe we can kick this to next week, but I'd also love to hear about how some of the younger guys are progressing, you know, Jenkins, Seymour, mm-hmm. I throw Bilal in that that group, and some of the guys that maybe we don't see uh, necessarily getting minutes, but but how they're progressing, and certainly we'll have a part of this as, as we move forward, hopefully with with kind of a full roster here for for several years to come for sure yeah i think with Blau, i mean he's been dealing with a knee injury so that's why you haven't seen him a lot um 
So, yeah, it's just constant. That knee thing is just, you know, uh, nagged him pretty much his whole time at Wichita State. It's kind of crazy. You know, he's going to be a freshman, though, next year. So that's three straight years of being a freshman. So that, that sets up well for him. And There's he, some fraternity guys that are in the same boat, <laughs> been a freshman for three years. <laughs> yeah, fourth-year freshman. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's good news for him. I mean, he has such a high upside when he is healthy. So, yeah, that's the biggest concern for WHU, just getting getting him healthy. And that is a good idea, though, to yeah, kind of check in on those freshmen, see how they're doing. You know, guys like Trevin Wade, um, you know, IB has mentioned them uh, in press conferences that how important they are to helping prepare WSU, you know, during the week and practice, going hard, uh, you know, helping the starters get better and, you know, kind of accepting that role. I know that's tough for those guys who obviously want to be out there and want to play big minutes, but, uh, you know, they're, they're finding their own ways to help the team. It's crunch time. By next Monday, you know what month it is in the calendar. It's March, so we'll we'll be with you here the rest of the way, hopefully for an NCAA tournament run for the Shockers. And as always, Taylor, what should our listeners do? Gotta rate us five stars. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.